Hello and welcome to another episode of Father and Joe. Again, this is Joe Rocky here with Father Boniface Hicks. And um, Father, if it's alright with you, I'd like to continue with something from the last episode that we talked about with Jesus' last moments on the cross. And I'd ask you about the, oh my God, oh my God, why have you forsaken me? And you had said, well, the easy answer is it's Psalm 22. Well, since then, I went then and read Psalm 22 and it is almost like the last 10 minutes of Jesus' life in mm. one, what, I, I, premonition's not the right word, but one way earlier written book um, before before uh, Jesus was alive. And uh, it, it brought up a lot of questions. Like, First off, was casting for lots for clothing, was that a normal thing back in the day? Because... That's explicitly referenced in in both the gospel accounts and the psalm, which was written many many years prior to to, to Jesus being crucified. I just wondered, was that common occurrence, or was that just a this is a pure degenerate culture type thing? That's a good question. I I'm not uh, familiar with the the practice offhand, but the the point of it is that the only thing of value left in this person were his clothing that they were casting lots for. Even that didn't really have value. I mean, it's not even an auction. So mm-hmm. just the, uh, just the idea that everything, he, everything was taken away and he was treated as, as nothing as the most despicable of creatures. And, and this goes together with what I believe we touched on the last time that, we can see in Jesus, and we always find this, that he goes to the very bottom. He identifies with the worst of our suffering, with the worst conditions that we experience. And people often come up with the, the objection about why do bad things happen to good people? And while we can't answer directly about that in every case, we can certainly say that God is not indifferent. He enters into all of it. So even being treated as trash, even being treated as as worthless and useless so much that his his clothing was being given away, everything had been repossessed in the life of Jesus. That's what God does for us. That, those are the depths that he goes to for us. This is illustrated very beautifully in the life of St. Josephine Bakita, who was a slave from the Sudan, I believe, in Africa, and was taken in by an Italian family and came into contact with Christ on the cross. And that torture of crucifixion was an execution reserved only for slaves in her country. And she was there, and the priest was there, and she said, who is that? And he said, that's God. And she was in complete awe, and she said, God became a slave like me? and suffered what I suffer? And he said, that's right. And that was the moment of her conversion. And so that identification, I think that's the important piece to draw from that question of even his clothing being just treated as nothing, given away, fought over. They, they had given up. The, the Son of God is there in front of them, and they're, they're worried about his clothing. And, and casting lots for his clothing. It just reduces his whole life to a, to a joke, to a game. 
And there are people that feel like that, that that's how their lives have been reduced. And so like St. Josephine Bikita, they can find in Jesus someone who understands from the inside, a God who is truly merciful and compassionate. So I wandered a, a little bit away from your question, Joe, but I want to just draw the, the significance out of that. No, no, I, I think you actually answered it better than, than, than I you know, ever said. I guess this has kind of been a second topic of uh, of these podcasts is that the education you got when you were nine doesn't really add up to being the same thing mm. whenever you're an adult. And, you know, you said that, you know, they didn't even auction it. And, you know, when you're nine, you just think, oh, you're always playing board games, you're rolling dice all the time. That That's what people do for fun. But seeing it in the adult world, there's nothing that doesn't get sold. You know, have you ever gone on eBay? You can find mm. some of the most irrelevant, essentially useless stuff that's still getting auctioned off. And... That is just a, a thought that um, that that it never had dawned upon me, and and I think along that light, one of the other things that had been coming upon me as as getting in preparation for for today's podcast and editing some of the other ones is that as I look back in time, I think that there's some things that we all kind of take for granted, even if we don't know how we got there. And I went, the only parallel I can really kind of draw this to is thinking. I never got taught how to think. You get taught what to think, you know, you get taught what to memorize sometimes, or, mm. or some ideology or political parties tell you you should think this and never really tell you why or how. Um, but you never really taught how to think. You just kind of wake up one day and there's a thought or something like this, a voice talking inside your head and what's all with that about and I don't even know how to teach someone how to think because I'm not even sure if I do it right um, I do know that most of the education system watching people around me is learn how to memorize especially early on which is what it is um, but I, I use that as the starting comparison because I'm not totally sure that I know how to pray either mm. and I get the going back to memorize these words, this is what you say, this is that, but I feel like there has to be, or not has to be, I just feel like there probably is a lot more to it that I just don't get or know how to do it right, and that's one of the things that I felt would be a good starting point, because as you, you we, we keep reflecting upon all these great moments of conversion, as you just brought up, um, with, with the last saint who saw Jesus being a slave for her, and mm. we can see these things around us, but I don't think that I know how to pray, and I'd imagine that I'm not the only one in this boat, that when we truly sit down, you know, I know how to recite words from prayers I was taught when I was younger, but beyond that, how do you do it? I, mean, I, I get the, that in some ways that seems like a really, really dumb question. But on the other hand, it seems mm -hmm. very, very pillar and important. So, wow, no, fantastic. <laughs> I, I, uh, in fact, I'm, I'm working on a book with my spiritual director on prayer because I think it's uh, such a compelling 
need to be more explicit in teaching people how to pray? That's a great question. I wanted to say too, Joe, that I really appreciate your questions about scripture, looking at the crucifixion scene, looking at those words of Jesus, looking at that expression of casting lots and asking those questions. Like, what, what does that mean? Where do we get that from? How, how do I understand that? So important that you ask that. As you said, it's just part of growing from a nine-year-old understanding to an adult understanding, but it also shows a, a level of, of interest and insight. And, and so I would already make the proposal that the Holy Spirit is at work in you even to read the scripture, even to ask those kinds of questions with an open heart. We can ask questions in a kind of uh, forensic way that we're, we're just uh, being critical or just being sort of passively curious or, um, you know, and that's, that's a, a different story. But to ask questions in a way that we believe that there's a truth there there's something we can grow from there's a way that we can draw closer there's there is a deeper meaning uh, and and we're open to discovering it that's the kind of attitude that will help us to grow in prayer i was watching a podcast by bishop robert Barron, who is fantastic and so insightful he was talking he's on the reuben report so doing a little bit something similar to uh, what we're doing here just trying to make a conversation out of the out of our faith, and uh, he was talking with Dave Rubin about how we come to know somebody. And as Bishop Barron pointed out, one way we can get to know someone is by looking them up on the internet. And if our listeners look me up, there's a, there's a fair amount of stuff out there. They can watch some YouTube clips. They can read some things I've written. They can see a, what other people say about me. They can find out some information. But that's different than talking to me directly. So you're going to find some information, but you're not really going to enter into the conversation. You can form some judgments, but they're going to be half-baked. In order to get to know me better, you've got to interact with me. And furthermore, when you come to the point that you've interacted with me enough and you really trust me, that I might share some things from my heart and then you might really know what's happening even inside of me. And that comes from a level of trust and mutual friendship that happens over a period of time. There's an analogy there in terms of God and prayer. We can kind of look in from the outside. We can gather some data. We can get some facts. We can argue with some points. We can see what other people are saying. But we're going to take a big step when we start addressing God directly and speaking to him. So as we, as we grow in our knowledge of him and as we grow in our trust in him and we're able to speak more deeply from our hearts and expose more of what's going on and we start reading the scriptures in a different way and we start reading theology and listening to fellow Catholics, Christians, priests, bishops, the Pope, whatever, in a different way, a way of trust rather than a way of suspicion, a way of recognition that I'm discovering someone who I already believe I know somewhat and I'm learning him more. I expect a certain answer. Maybe I get something a little bit different, but I'm essentially recognizing and looking for the recognition rather than constantly suspecting, doubting, 
trying to point out the flaws. So I'm just trying to form an attitude that we develop. And it's not an attitude that we develop from nothing. Just like in human relationships, we develop that over time when we come to the point that we can really trust, that I can say, I believe I'm going to find truth here. I believe that God is dealing with me in a particular way. He is trustworthy, truthful, and I am trusting of him. So when when you start with there, I mean, I, I think everyone has their own process of going through this. Some people fall into the element of trusting people much more readily than others. I think that that's just part of the human condition. And I, 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 just to make sure that, that we're, we're, we're saying the same thing, you're, you're not outright saying you should blindly just walk in from day one and say, I trust everything without questioning and, and inherently. But if I'm understanding it right, having some questions might actually lead you to a better understanding as long as you're willing to openly think about it and not just coming from, I just want more proof one way or the other that says, this is what I want to hear. And in my my life, at least, I found that that tends to be the best direction where you might have a starting bias leaning you one way or the other, but listening to all points, inevitably the truth will present itself in a way that that is better. So, um, so I, I just want to make sure I was right. It's like inevitably you will get to the point where you know we've just know each other enough and we're going to trust each other, and that's inherent. But people don't start there, and. You know, I, I guess that that's part of it is, is is that well, I appreciate what you said earlier about how I might be further down the road than I recognize, which I appreciate. But you know, that doesn't mean that, that there's not people that I've passed along the road who are coming from questioning everything around it, because I know that there's points in my life that all I did was fight everything and question everything. You know, with you know, in many things, I still fight things all the time. Um, so. Um, that being said, I just want to make sure that 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 the clarification is right, and and where where how to handle it, and and then also just fundamentally how to have that conversation in a way where where we know that it's it, it's actually happening, opposed to you know I really hope I don't get pulled over for speeding um, type thing. That's right. Yeah. Thanks for, for clarifying that. It, um, that's exactly what I'm, I'm saying. I, I'm, I'm trying to uh, make the analogy from something that's, that's very familiar to us. All of us have relationships. All of us have come to know individuals. And we could say, if we thought about it, I know this person more deeply than I know this person. We can know everybody from a kind of, you know, research them on the Internet perspective so far as they're on the internet um, there's only some people that we come to know in a very personal way and that's a, a growth in trust that's the fundamental thing that what I say to somebody what they say to me is built on trust that we're not trying to mislead each other we're not trying to uh, misdirect each other and so the, there's an analogy there in our relationship with God there we can find out things from the outside but as we enter into a dialogue as we make it more personal then there's a building of trust, and that happens over time. So 
one of my favorite quotes is from a, a Benedictine abbot, you know, the head of a monastery back in the early 20th century in England, uh, John Chapman. And he has a book called The Spiritual Letters. And uh, there's a lot of good wisdom there. It's probably a little bit advanced, um, not, not for the, uh, the beginning prayer, but for somebody who is uh, a little bit more experienced, who writes letters of spiritual direction. Anyway, he says something very simple. If you want to pray better, pray more. And if you can't pray more, at least pray consistently. Now again, we can draw that kind of insight from regular relationships with, between two human beings. If you want to get to know someone better, spend more time with them, talk with them more, and at least talk consistently. There's something about consistency because when we have a regular interaction, think of the most consistent relationship between husband and wife, for example, or between parents and children. They are with each other, good times and bad, sunny days and rainy days, and in their you know good moods and bad moods and injury and health and you know everything right mm -hmm. you really get to know somebody more than just when they're at their best to see them also at their worst and then you start to, to fill in the dots so uh, it's important for us in our relationship with god too that we don't just go like you said i don't want to get a traffic ticket sure that's a fine time to call out to God I wouldn't exclude that you know <laughs> that's uh that's okay well insofar as it's we can't ask God to help us do evil so anyway but as far as we might need help with simple things and uh we might have some anxiety and well good you know express those things come and talk to him also when you're joyful and and speak to him praise him thank him and uh, so we have at all of these different points in our lives. And that's why daily prayer is so valuable. So that's a, just a, a starting framework to keep in mind. And then what you're asking for, Joe, is like, well, tell, tell me more about that. What's that relationship like? You know, what's the content like? What do, what do we go into? And certainly those memorized prayers, they have a certain value because we, we learn how other people pray. How do other people interact with God, who really know Him and love Him and trust Him, because that gives us a, a formula or a, a, a grammar, we might say, for our interactions with Him. What kinds of things do you say to God? One, what kinds of things do you expect to hear from God? Well, that's an, another really interesting question. Well, yeah. <laughs> again, we can, we can look to the saints and we can see from their prayers and the prayers of the church, well, these are the kinds of things you say to God. These are the kinds of things that he says back to you. And then that helps us to develop an expectation of how our own personal relationship with God will start to unfold. And so those give us some, in start, some important starting points. And that's why we teach children. And we still, as adults, use some prayers that are already written for us to kind of shape, give a shape to that dialogue. But then we need to take a step also of, of really learning to speak from our hearts and listen listen to what he says to us personally. So a step for you, Joe, and for our listeners would be to try and speak to God from your heart. And now a, a few other kind of details. It, it always helps to orient ourselves a little bit. It's great to pray in church. You know, there's something about being in church, and especially in a Catholic church where we have a tabernacle and we have the Blessed Sacrament, 
We believe that's the real presence of Jesus. Uh, he's there in his body and blood. In that way, he's actually closer to us in the tabernacle than you and I, Joe, are over this technology. You're quite yeah. far away from me. Yeah. But when we go to a church, he's there, you know, 100 feet away from me or 10 feet away from me, really in his body and blood. I'm there in my body, and he's there in his body. There's mm -hmm. something irreplaceable about that connection. So it's not an absolute necessity for our prayer, but it sure does help. And then we even have times of Eucharistic adoration where the Blessed Sacrament is exposed in what's called a monstrance placed on the altar and we can see the blessed sacrament itself now it still appears to our eyes as bread mm -hmm. we make that act of faith to recognize that it is truly the body blood soul and divinity of jesus christ and so again he's there in his body i'm there in my body there's something very special about that connection we'd rather be with someone in person than talk to them over the phone just again simple analogies from our human relationships so it really helps and that those those kinds of things taking time with jesus in adoration and eucharistic adoration taking time with jesus even when he's in the tabernacle by just going to church those things have a way of moving our prayer life ahead and what do we do while we're there well first of all we want to be able to express our hearts we he already knows us and that might stop us from saying anything, but he likes to hear from us as well. Mm -hmm. But in knowing that he already knows us, it makes it ridiculous for us to try and hide things. <laughs> so makes sense. In, in fact, the, uh, the most wonderful things that we want to share with him, uh, the most valuable things for our prayer life, are, are actually to speak about things that are really vulnerable, that are really personal to us, that we might share our fears with him, or our desires with him, our hopes with him, that we might share our confusion, our uncertainty. And, and of course, also, we have that sacrament of confession, which really focuses on the point of our sins, but it's very vulnerable to share the ways, oh, I know I shouldn't have said this to this person. I know I shouldn't have done this bad thing. I know I shouldn't have, you know, and we feel the weight of that. And, and we feel like that's something that comes between us, something that we want to hide from him, just like Adam and Eve in the garden. But we can't hide that and still have a relationship. Mm -hmm. So we start in personal prayer, just sharing those things with him. So things like our sins, our hopes, our fears, our joys. Maybe we want to share with him the, the girl that we met or the hopes that we have for a relationship or mm -hmm. uh, these kinds of things. And we, and we speak to him from our hearts. And then it's very valuable to stop and listen. And what do we listen for? Well, a way that we can help that along is how do we imagine he's looking at us right now? And that's going to be something that is partially our imagination mm -hmm. and partially the work of the Holy Spirit. And how partial? Well, that's something we get better at figuring out over time. Mm -hmm. But for example, I, I share with him maybe a, something that I'm fearful about. How do I imagine that Jesus is looking at me at that moment? What do I imagine that he's doing for me? Now, we know that God is love. What is the most loving response to what I just shared with him? That's going to get us pretty close to the reality of how he's looking at us, of what he's saying to us. And that's a first step, a really important step for, for going deeper in a, in a real relational and interactive prayer with God. 
Okay, so follow-up question on that, and um, it actually hit me upon something of, of a note that I wanted to, to have is, while we're filming this, we can see each other through, through the technology, yeah. but when people hear us, they are only able to use their ears because it's, it's an audio screen, and so you have these images that pop in your head the same way as if you were sitting there in church when someone's you know, reading the, the gospel. And where my question comes up, or I guess observation is, because Jesus was man, he showed emotion from time to time because it's something we all do. Um, obviously, women Absolutely. do it much better than men and much more often, but it um, it nonetheless still happened. So, whenever the Gospels are read, and depending upon which part we're talking about, you know, he has a different emotion that he's articulating. So some of the extremes that pop in my head when he goes up on the mountain and and reads all the beatitudes off which just happened a couple of weeks ago in church you know he's he's there teaching he, he's 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 presenting um and then when he goes to all the coin collectors gets really mad and starts flipping out all their tables well he's super mad then and then um you know obviously the transfiguration which is going to be coming up in a couple of weeks he's He's as divine and tells everyone, or the four that are there, basically, guys, keep this a secret. I want to keep this personal until I, I have gone back home. So there's a lot of different parts of this. And then you also get the part where ultimately, um, which, which I think is the hard part of just knowing this and, and, and probably in history in general, because you know how the story ends, putting yourself there in a moment can be very difficult, especially whenever um, you're, you're thinking about stuff. But the other element that they show in there is him going to be judging us one day. And that's really the only part of it that that isn't told because we haven't, you know, it hasn't happened yet. It's not written, written down mm -hmm. as far as this is what you're going to be on the yes list or the no list. And I guess that's part of my question is, you know, you just said, think of, think of love and God is love. Well, he did all those other things. And those are just four examples that popped in my head really quickly, um, throughout the, throughout his life that was written down. And I'm sure countless others that weren't written down in, in the gospels because they have to be written. You can't write an entire lifestyle thoughts and deeds and in, in one book and that's impossible but nonetheless um you know how do you i i guess that's part of of, of the question there as we um we start to draw towards the end of this podcast um i'm not sure i followed what the question was well well yeah that's fair enough i just went on, on a lot there um so as you said, stop and listen, and, and think of how he would want to respond to you. You know, we all sitting here with all of our emotions in our ways, and you know, essentially, you're, you're, you're telling me to, to visualize how how he would be if he was sitting next to me in my car, going through what just happened and, and just talking. Um, I, I, I guess that's part of our, our question. Maybe it's part of. Of, of just how you view God yourself um, I guess that's that's what I'm trying to articulate 
How do you how do you yeah. imagine him? Yeah. Uh, well, and as I was just implying, that's a that's a growing experience. So that that's going to go hand in hand with just as the relationship grows, our our understanding of how he speaks, how he looks, how he responds, is also going to grow. Mm-hmm. So this want to be clear about that at first that we're we're going to get some of that wrong. And that's going to keep getting shaped over time. It's uh, it's easy to read things in. You know, we have to we always hold these things in tension with uh, with the truth uh, that he's revealed about himself that that Jesus is God, for example, and that he is love. So uh, when he says, "How long will I endure you, O faithless generation?" we could interpret that as impatience. Mm-hmm. I'm committed to the belief that. Impatience is not divine. And so uh, I have to find another way to read that in coordination with the fact that Jesus is divine, that he is God. So well, how do I understand that? Well, on that note, is impatience not being divine? Um, as this wraps up our podcast, people are going to have to be a little bit impatient hearing the next uh, continuation of this conversation. We thank you all for listening to it, and we will pick up this conversation with our next podcast.